show you a picture. Uh, this is a picture of, uh, here we are in Illyria, and I want to show you my hometown. Anybody ever been to or heard of Wattsburg, Pennsylvania before? Yes, you've been there. Little town of 400 people. It's about two and a half hours to get there. I grew up in this town with four brothers and one sister. I was the second oldest. I have an older brother who's a year older than me. And when he got his driver's license, that was a big deal. You see, in our little town of 400, there was really nothing to do there. But if I drove from Wattsburg to Corey, Pennsylvania, about 10, 12 miles away, that was a town of about 8,000, 10,000 people. And guess what they had there? They had a grocery store. Woohoo! That was a big deal, man, in my home. So when my brother got his driver's license, he got in the, in the Dodge Ram Charger. I, as a 15-year-old, got in there. My younger brother, who was 13, got in there. And we drove to Corey, Pennsylvania. And we went to the grocery store because we were going to get some snacks. So I don't remember what snacks I got that day, but I remember what my 13-year-old brother got that day because as we were walking into that grocery store, there was a pop machine there. He put 50 cents in that pop machine, got a can of Coke. We went into the store to buy our snacks. We're going through the checkout line, and my brother takes his can of Coke, and he puts it on the belt for the cashier to ring out. And he starts getting his wallet out. And I'm like, what are you doing? You already bought that can of Coke in the machine out there. Well, they're going to think that I stole it. I'm like, just tell them you bought it in the machine. Have them hold it because it's cold. It was in the machine. So the, the pop, the Coke in the store, it's all warm just sitting there. Just pick it up and tell them. No, I'm just going to pay for it. So we, to this day, tease my brother because he paid for that Coke twice. Yeah, we tell them today, yeah, why? Like, I'm looking for deals where it's where you pay half as much, and we tease them, you're looking for deals where you pay twice as much. I'm waiting for it to go on half price sale. You're waiting for it to go on double price sale before you buy it. You see, that was not the way to handle money wisely. When I went away to, to Bible college, uh, I was a young kid. I was 17 years old. I had a couple thousand dollars that I'd worked for and saved up, I had to pay off my first semester, so I paid about $1,200, first semester's paid for, went to the bookstore to get my books. In the bookstore at the Christian University, they had all types of Christian music there. Rich, you remember all those Christian cassette tapes back in the early, mid-80s? So I'm in there, and they've got a deal going on. You buy four cassettes for $9.99, you get a fifth one free. Now, I took high school math, so I figured out that I instead of just getting five for the price of four, I could get 15 for the price of 12. So I spent $120 plus tax on 15 cassette tapes. That was not the way to handle money with wisdom. Today, we're going to look at how do we handle money with wisdom. Uh, we're doing a four-week series on money. Last week, we looked at who's the owner of all the money, and how do we get it? We notice that, that God is the owner. He owns it all. It's his. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it was our memory verse last week. God is the owner. How do we get more? Well, he entrusts it 
to us. And if we are faithful with the money he entrusts to us, he gives us more. We saw that last week. And also, we earn more by our hard work. So faithfulness with what he's entrusted and hard, diligent work is how we get more. Well, how do we, you know, work faithfully? How do we act faithfully with the money that he's given to us? Well, that's what we're going to look at this week. It's by using it wisely, handling it with wisdom. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today, and the context of Ephesians 5 is not specifically about money. It's about all of life. Ephesians 5 is instructions how to live in this world as a follower of Jesus, including how do we handle the money that God has given us as we follow Jesus. So this is absolutely related to to money and to life. And uh, let's start reading, and we'll explain some things as we go. Ephesians 5, written by Paul, said, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I don't think anybody in this room would argue with me that the day and the culture and the world that we live in today is permeated by a lot of wickedness and evil. Because of that, we need to live as wise in all areas of life, including money. And I would say, especially money. And you might say, why are you putting such an emphasis on money? When you think about the world we live in, we live in a recycle world where we recycle cardboard, we recycle plastics, we put them in recycle bins. Um, we can uh, recycle other things in life. If you uh, are have some clothes you've outgrown, you can take them to the Goodwill, and they're recycled. Somebody else can get them. If you were a kid like me and you had cousins who are a few years older than you, they would take their old clothes and give them to you, the hand-me-down clothes. They re- we recycle things. But in this world, there's two things that are non-recyclable. One of them is time. You cannot recycle time. What you did today at 7 a.m., you that time is gone. You can't do use that time period again. From 7 to 8, it's gone. What you're doing right now, a second ago, that second's gone. This second I'm just talking now, gone. You can't recycle time. Once it's gone, it's gone. The same thing with money. If I spend a dollar here, I cannot spend that dollar somewhere else. That's non-recyclable. So it's really important that we live wisely, not foolishly, not unwise, but make the most of the opportunities that I have. Every dollar that God's given me is an opportunity to use it the way that he wants me to use it. The days and the dollars are to be used wisely as God has entrusted us. Verse 17 keeps on saying, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And we said this last week, when it comes to money, remember it's his, he's entrusted it to us, it's important that I understand his will, what do you want me to spend that money on? What do I want you to, what do you want me to use what you've entrusted to me with? So understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is immoral living, is what debauchery is. Don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What he's saying here is don't be under the influence of any exterior, uh, anything exterior, like alcohol or drugs or tobacco or caffeine, where these things control me. Don't be under the control of those things, exterior, 
the control of the Holy Spirit. Do what he wants you to do. Also, don't be under the control of anything interior, like greedy motives or covetous motives or uh, different chemicals in our bodies. Do you realize when it comes to spending money, when you buy something, studies have been done to show that there's an endorphin release in your body that you, so you have pleasure, you feel good when you buy something. Does it, you, have you ever experienced that before? You buy something, you feel good about that. Don't be under the influence of these things. Verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. What he's saying here is when you're talking to people, use encouraging godly words with people. When you're talking to the Lord, praise him with your words as you live. And then verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as it relates to money, we want to acknowledge and thank God for his provision. Thank him for the abilities that he's given us. Thank him for the job and for the employer and the paycheck that he's given us. We want to turn to him and thank him. And we want to remember that that's that's the overriding, um, the overriding mindset in handling money with wisdom, that we, we thank God, that we act wisely, and that we're controlled by the Holy Spirit as we spend. We're going to look at now some specific um, ways that, that God in his word has instructed us in handling money wisely. And the first one, and this is foundational, you're going to say this is a no-brainer, but it's really, it's a problem. And that's why we've got to say it, is that we've got to spend less than we earn. And like I said, that's a no-brainer, right? But we live in a world where going into debt, borrowing money, spending more than you earn is very common. How many weeks go by or how many times a week do you get a credit card advertisement in the mail or an email trying to get you to sign up and get a new credit card? We live in a world where the government spends more than they take in. Now, I did not use the word earned there on purpose because I don't think the government is earning the money, but they are taking the money, taking it in. As of Friday, the U.S. government had spent $26 trillion more than they took in. There's actually a website you can go to see the debt tracker. I was on that webpage for less than five minutes. And in those five minutes, our national debt went up $6 million in those four to five minutes. At that time on Friday, it was $26,746,954,000,000. And by the time I clicked off, it had been up to $960 million. Listen, that's not wise. Spending less than you earn is wise. And that spending less than you earn begins with the earning part. We addressed that last week, but I want to emphasize it a little bit more today, is that we earn, and we said last week, by diligent work. And remember, we earn by being faithful with what God's entrusted. We earned by diligent hard work. In your Bible, you've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, you've got Song of Solomon, you've got Ecclesiastes, which we were reading in this last week. Those books are called wisdom literature, and they expose a wise way of living and handling money. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, 
But he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. The writer is exalting, er, earning an honest day's wage for an honest day's work. It's little bit by little bit. My first job when I was 11 years old, sixth grade kid, was mowing the grass at the cemetery. I would get picked up after school, uh, go to the cemetery, mow from 3 o'clock till 5.30. Then on Saturdays from 8 o'clock till like 3 in the afternoon, we'd mow the grass at the cemetery. I was making $2 an hour. I don't know if that was minimum wage back then in the late 70s, but $2 an hour. And I remember, I can still remember this. The very first day that I worked, I was figuring out in my head, oh, I worked two and a half hours. I'm two and a half times two. That's $5. I just made $5 today. That's awesome. I can't believe it. And then when I got my first, I still remember my first paycheck. It was for 17 hours of work. 34 bucks. I'm like, wow, I can't believe $34. All those hours that I worked, that really added up. I got this $34 paycheck. The second year that I worked there, we got a raise, two and a half dollars an hour. And I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. Last year, if I, I had to work two and a half hours to get $5, now I just have to work two hours to get $5. This is great. All that little bit of work adds up little bit by little bit, honest day's work for an honest day's wage. Proverbs 10.2 says, ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, when we read Proverbs, many of the Proverbs have um, an antithesis statement. They'll say one thing, the first phrase, and then the opposite thing, the second phrase. This first phrase, talking about money, is talking about ill-gotten treasure of no value. The antithesis then talks about righteousness. And what they're doing is equating equating this uh, hard work, little by little, with righteousness. That's the right way to live, the honest way to live, honest day's wage for an honest day's work. In these two verses, you'll see uh, two words, dishonest money, and you'll see the ill-gotten treasure. What are these things? What's ill-gotten treasure? What's dishonest money? When you cheat to get money, that's dishonest. That's ill-gotten. Uh, if you cheat on your taxes or deliberately mislead that way, that's ill-gotten money. I knew a pastor once, and there's different laws when it comes to, to taxes for, for pastors. There's, pastors can take out a, um, a housing allowance, and certain things of that are are taxed, some of that's not taxed, it's just, it's a little bit complicated. And this pastor, this is over 20 years ago, right after TurboTax started to be used, he had an accountant do his taxes, and the accountant came back with, you're going to get a refund of $2,400. That's a pretty good refund. Well, that pastor had gone through all the taxes on his own. He said, you know what, because of all these different housing allowance tax laws, I can't get that much back. It's really only like a $300 return that I'm getting. The accountant said, no, nah, it really is this. He said, I'm pretty sure it's this. So the, the pastor, he, he edited it, taxes, sent them in to get the 300 return. Well, the IRS sent them a check for $2,400 because they did the other, the other system. Well, he called up the IRS and said, you know what? I'm pretty sure. I'm almost positive. In fact, I'm certain that because of these different uh, housing allowance laws, I'm not eligible for, for that big return. 
And so the IRS took that check back, issued another check for $300. He did not want that ill-gotten gain. And guess what? A year later, that pastor went to buy a car, and he found a car that was really marked down. And when he did the research on Kelly Blue Book, he found out that the car that he bought, he actually bought it for $2,100 less than what the Blue Book value was. So God made up that $2,100 when he was trying to act honestly. You ever go to a grocery store or a restaurant, you pay with cash, and they give you too much change back? What do you do with that? Do you give it back? I remember one time when Stacy and I, we, uh, we had an envelope system to get money. When we, when we cashed a check, we put an envelope. This is the money we can spend on food. This is the money we can spend on going out on a date. This is the money we can spend on, on, on gasoline for the car. We had this system, so when we cashed our check, they gave us the cash, and when we got home and counted it, they gave us an extra $100, extra $100 bill. So we took it back to the bank and said, you know, we, we went over this several times. We're certain you gave us too much money back. And said, are you sure? Yeah, we're sure. And they thanked us for being honest because we didn't want to keep that ill-gotten gain. People ask the question, what about gambling? Is it a sin for Christians to gamble? Is gambling dishonest? Is, is, is gambling this ill-gotten treasure? Honestly, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, you go into the Las Vegas airport, there's about 2,000 slot machines just in the airport. You ever want to know why it's so cheap to fly there? they got slot machines. Somebody's getting rich, and it's usually not the person that's putting coins in there. I have a friend whose mother-in-law would take her $2,400 a month pension check and then go to the casinos every month when that check would come in. And so that close to $30,000 a year going in the pockets of the casino owners. What about, you know, if somebody gives you a lottery ticket, is that wrong to, 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 to take that lottery ticket and scratch it off? I'd say no. Someone gave that to you. That's not ill-gotten gain. You didn't, I, I would say it's not wise necessarily to buy lottery tickets, to get rich quick if that's your plan, how to use God's money. Well, what about buying 50-50 tickets for the high school band or the sports boosters? No, if I'm supporting the sports boosters and I'm, I, I want to give to those guys, th- nothing wrong with that. That's not ill-gotten gain. But what to consider is we want to be diligent workers, uh, not people who are using God's money for get-rich-quick. As we talk about spending less than you earn, the opposite is spending more than you earn. And that, of course, is what we call debt. You're familiar with that. You're borrowing money uh, to buy what you want, rather than, uh, and you're paying more than you because you pay the interest in it. There's a danger in borrowing. There's a danger in debt. You can get into deep trouble by borrowing. Remember, the Proverbs is called wisdom literature, and it says that the borrower is actually. Uh, actually becomes a slave to the lender or a servant to the lender. The lender sort of owns the borrower. Proverbs 22.7 says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a servant to the lender. Moses said in Deuteronomy 15.6, these instructions from the Lord, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you, you're going to lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations because you're lending, but none will rule over you because you're not borrowing from them. When you lend, you rule when uh, you're the master. When you borrow, 
you are the slave. When I borrow today, it limits what I can purchase tomorrow. I'm indebted to, to the owner. And we've probably all felt this way if you've ever been in debt before with a car loan or a credit card loan that keeps building up every month. You feel somewhat controlled, but when you pay it off, boy, you feel free. I'm free from this debt. It's best to avoid borrowing. And, and I know there's exceptions. People would say like a house purchase is, is the exception for, for borrowing. Uh, if you're in debt, it's wise to get out as soon as possible. And it takes focus. It takes sacrifice to get free. There are some great authors that I would recommend that helped us early on with recognizing the dangers of debt and getting out and staying out. Uh, one guy's a guy named Randy Alcorn. He's got a book on wealth, and I think on his website, if you look up, he'll give that book away for free. It's a great book on handling money. Randy Alcorn. There's a guy named Larry Burkett that Stacy and I have read some of his books on getting out of debt really well. Larry Burkett. And then Dave Ramsey. He's, you hear him. He's on the radio. He's on uh, AM 930 from 10 till noon every day. Uh, just really wise in how to get out and stay out of debt. Randy Alcorn, Larry Burkett, Dave Ramsey. How to not become a slave. There's another aspect of borrowing that I think is really important for us to look at. And that's when in, in taking out loans, um, not being a co-signer. On a loan. Let's look at Proverbs 11:15. He who puts up security for another, that's somebody co-signing, will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands in pledge is safe. He's talking about co-signing on a loan here. Proverbs 22:26. Do not be a man or a woman who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. It's it's foolish. It's not wise to co-sign for a loan for somebody else because if they default on it. You get stuck with it. It will ruin a friendship. Uh, as parents, we would not co-sign a student loan for our kids. We just wouldn't do that. We didn't think it was right or wise to do that. There's a lot of dangers in borrowing, a lot of dangers in going into debt. Um, there are ways to get out, and there's people in our church that can help you if you're in debt to help coach you to get out of that debt as well as those books, but it's best to just avoid it. But there's also, there's also a danger in lending money to people. You know, it's much better to be a lender than a borrower. Uh, remember Deuteronomy 15, 16 says that you're going to rule over other people, and that's because you're charging interest to them. But it's not always smooth sailing as a lender. Think about the church building that we're in right now. Praise God, we've been in this building for almost two months. or I'm sorry, almost two years. It'll be two years, the very first week of October, that we've been in this building. How do we ever get this building? We don't own this building. We rent this building. The owner is a Christian finance company from Missouri. There was another church that had taken out a loan on this building. That other church defaulted on that loan, and the owner of the building in Missouri was, was stuck with over $500,000, more than a half million dollars that they lost because of that loan default. Yeah, there's a danger in being a lender also. So that's why we're just, we're just renting. We're glad to rent and not be indebted, enslaved to somebody else. 
Jesus said in, in Luke 6, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. When you're lending to people, be prepared to lose what you've lent. Also be prepared to lose a friend, because if it's a friend that you lend to and they don't pay you back, there's a little bit of a tough one. So if you're going to lend to somebody, you might as well just give it to them. I'm not saying that everybody has to do that, but just if you're lending, there, there's a danger in that. If you're going to lend to a friend, lend with low expectations. And God's given this instruction in lending in Exodus 22:25. If you lend money to one of my people, so he's talking to a brother or sister in Christ, to another Christian, to another follower of Jesus. If you lend to money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like the money lenders. Charge him no interest. Don't charge interest on them. When lending to a Christian friend, either just give it free of charge, expecting nothing back, or lend it, but don't charge interest on it. So it is wise to work diligently and earn money, then spend less than you earn, stay out of debt, and then with that extra money that you don't spend, put it away so that you can use it at a later date. And that's called saving for the future. Save for the future. 25 years ago, I was a student ministries pastor at a church in Northeast Ohio, and I remember teaching the students about money, teaching some of these principles about money. And when I was talking about saving, I said there's a principle called the 10-10-80 principle. And that means the first 10% of your paycheck, you give it to God. The second 10% of your paycheck, you give it to yourself. That's called saving. You're putting it away for yourself, for the future. Then the rest of that, the other 80%, ask God how he would like you to spend it. If you're a student and you'd like to buy some music, or if you'd like to buy some headphones, or if you'd like to buy whatever, ask the Lord, is it okay if I buy this? And like I said last week, wait 30 days, pray 30 days, and if you still wanted it 30 days, green light, go for it. About half a year later, one of the kids from that student ministry came up to me and said, hey, Pastor Joel, guess what? You remember that 10, 10, 80 thing you taught us? I'm like, yeah. He said, well, I've been working at Subway for the last four months, and I really like that, so I've been doing that. I've been doing the 10 to God, 10 to myself, and then spending the 80. He says, and that's been really cool because now with that 10, that's really built up. And what I found is as I've been letting that build up and put 10 in, I've been actually putting 20 and then 30 in because I like saving. I like having more for later on, and I'm realizing I can spend less now. He was becoming wise because he was saving for the future. That's called delayed gratification. Debt and borrowing is called instant gratification. The Bible talks about self-control a lot. Delayed gratification is exercising self-control. Instant gratification takes no self-control. I'm being controlled by my own desires rather than being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Think about it. If I want, you know, I've got an older car. I want to get a newer car. I could go take out uh, a three-year loan for this newer car and pay $250 a month, and I could have that instant gratification now. Or instead of paying the bank or the car dealership, I can pay myself $250 a month. And in three years, I got nine grand saved up. And then I can go buy a nice car that I want to get. I had a friend who was a loan officer at a credit union. And when the Ohio State Buckeyes 
went to bowl games, he always had people coming in to get a loan so that they could buy tickets and travel and stay at the Fiesta Bowl or at the Rose Bowl, borrowing, going into debt rather than saving up for the future. So when you see something that you want, ask the Lord, what do you want? Do you want me to have that? So if I see a car or a TV or a house or land or a gun or an iPad or a lawn tractor, save up and get it. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. In other words, hey, lazy person, look at the ant and what he does. Consider its ways and be wise like the ant. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer. In other words, it saves. It gathers its food in the harvest. That's the fall time. It saves. Why does it save in the summer and in the fall? So it has that available in so don't spend more than you earn. Don't spend everything you earn. Put some aside. Save for the future. Most of us got stimulus checks from the government, and I'm against those types of things because you remember that $26 trillion? There was over a trillion added to it just from those checks. But if you get those checks, why not save them? <laughs> there was a, a run on TVs at Best Buy after that first stimulus check came out. Everybody used their checks to go buy big TVs. Save that money. Finally, to handle money with wisdom, spend less than you earn, save for the future, and remember to treat people fairly. This is part of the point that Exodus 22:25 was making by saying don't charge another brother or sister interest. Don't use your wealth or money to take advantage of other people or to lord it over other people or to manipulate or try to control other people. If you don't have a lot of money, don't try to mooch off of other people or manipulate or get people to feel sorry for you. That's a syndrome that, that many pastors, honestly, because pastors have been on the lower end traditionally of pay scales. Uh, today, I mean, in some of the bigger churches, they're, they're making pretty good jack. But traditionally, so pastors would sort of sort of can play on that, going to buy a car. Well, I'm a pastor. I don't make much money. Don't, don't do that. Treat people fairly. Don't cry poor. Specifically addressed in scriptures is this idea of cheating other people. Remember that map that I had up on there, Wattsburg, Pennsylvania, where I grew up, Cory, Pennsylvania, where you can pay twice as much for pop if you really want to? Just north of there, and I should have pointed it out on the screen, there's a town called Northeast. It was right up on the lake. It was just before you get into New York. Uh, it's in the northeast corner of that part of Pennsylvania. Uh, after Stacy and I got married, we moved there. I was youth pastoring at a church near there, and we moved into a, uh, a townhouse apartment. There was about 10 or 11 of them there in that little development, townhouse apartments. And just down from us, this new couple moved in after we moved in. And we were young, following Jesus, trying to share the gospel with our neighbors. So we met this young couple, and the lady invited Stacy over. for It was a Tupperware, some type of little deal. You come, and they show things, and you can buy these, these home knick-knack things. So we wanted to reach out to them. Stacy went to this, and we wanted to support them. Even though we didn't have much money as a young couple, uh, we're like, okay, well, let's buy this one thing for $20. So write out the check, not to the company, but to the host. 
the hostess of the party, write out the check for $20. We're supposed to get this item in the next couple weeks. A couple weeks go by, we don't have the item. It hasn't come in yet. We have a neighbor lady who's one of these ladies who's in her mid-late 70s, and she just knows what's going on. She knows everybody's business of what's going on in that little apartment thing. And she came over and said, hey, so-and-so, they're not giving you your money back. They're keeping that money. And so we're like, okay, what's going on here? So we called them up. Hey, it's been two weeks. We haven't gotten that thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get it to you. The, uh, the husband in that family, he was a DJ, <laughs> professional DJ. He's like, I'm doing a wedding this, sun, this Saturday. I'm getting paid. We'll give you, you know, we're, we're not placing the order. We didn't have enough people to place the order. We'll give you your money back. Well, wait, wait a minute. What did you do with our money? All you have to do is give us back the check. Well, we cashed the check. For what? Since you didn't buy the thing. Um, we just, uh, we'll, we'll get you your money back after this weekend. Well, I don't know how long it was, but before long, they moved. We never saw that money back. That's not how uh, you treat people fairly. Uh, we don't cheat people. Even though we got cheated, that's not how we use God's money wisely. Psalm 37.21 says that the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous, they give generously. And in two weeks, we're going to look at how to give generously, how to be a generous person. Right there, here they're saying that it's wicked to not repay what you borrow. That's a big problem with uh, with filing Chapter 11 with bankruptcy. And I don't know anybody's history here. If anybody's done that before, I'm not trying to single anybody out or or criticize you. But if you don't pay back people that you owe, Scripture calls that wickedness. There's a couple that I really respect. In fact, I'll call it out. It's, it's J&M Interiors over on Route 57, um, over close to the mall. In 2007 and 8 and 9, when the whole economy blew up, they th- their whole business tanked. And they had to file for Chapter 11. But here's what they did. They contacted every vendor that they owed money to and said, we had to file Chapter 11 for protection for things, because, but we're going to pay back. Every, and they took the next five, six, seven years and paid back every vendor what they owed them. The vendor, because they called them, they uh, deleted the interest owed, but they paid everyone back. So I don't have any problem going over there and supporting that business because that's how they handled it. That was not wicked. They repaid everyone what they owed. Now, there's a difference here. When I, uh, probably 15, no, 25, 24 years ago, I broke my wrist playing basketball, broke my wrist and went to the, the doctor's office. They had the x-ray. They had to put a cast on. We had, I don't know, $1,000 in, in, in medical bills, and we didn't have insurance. And, and don't let the, the, the media, don't let government officials tell you that, you know, scare you to think everybody's got to have insurance. You can make it without insurance. Hospitals will work with you. They'll give you discounts. They'll do payment plans. So we had a payment plan of $50 a month to pay off that risk. We've been paying on it a year. We only owed a few hundred dollars more, but then the doctor sent us a note and said, we want to thank you for faithfully meeting your obligations and paying us on time every month. Because you've been doing that, we're going to forgive the rest of the debt that you owe us. You don't owe us anything anymore. Were we wicked because we didn't pay him back everything? Well, no, they just forgave that loan and that's, or the rest of that debt, and that's okay. But the, the advice there is to, to pay back what you Finally, 
are trying to treat people fairly do not show favoritism. James 2, 1 through 4 says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, don't show favoritism. What's he talking about? He's talking about money. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, into church, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He says it's evil to show favoritism to someone because of their appearance, because of their skin color, because of their last name, because of their wealth. Don't show favoritism. Treat everyone the same. Show the love of Christ to everyone. So remember, God has entrusted us with money. We earn more by faithfulness and hard work. And that's how we handle it wisely. It's wise to spend less than you earn. It's wise to save rather than borrow. And it's wise to treat people fairly. No favoritism. Um, Don't cheat people. So be careful how we live. Not as unwise, but as wise. What's our disciple pathway this week? How about memorizing that Ephesians 5.15, be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And then reading this week, finish up Ecclesiastes. We did 1 through 6 last week. Do 7 through 12 this week. Just take note that money is not our main source of satisfaction. Help God to to help you excel at work, find satisfaction in work and in him, and just use money, not let money use you. So careful how you live, not as unwise, as but as wise. And next week, we're going to uh, look at giving back to God. What's the whole issue of giving back to him? There's things that the Old Testament says, there's things that the New Testament says, there's things that Jesus said. Where, where, does, where do we land on that? How do we give back to Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, money is just such a reality in our world. We all need it. We all want it to some degree. I pray that we'd want it with right motives, Lord, so we can be generous for you, generous like you. Um, Lord, help us to handle it wisely. Help us to be thankful for what you entrust. Help us to be faithful with it, and then use it wisely, Lord, so that it's not ruling over us, and we're not living under constant pressure of, of being mastered by it. I pray that we'd live in freedom because we've handled it your way. Help us this day, Father. Help us this week, we pray through Jesus. Amen.